I've been thinking a lot about beauty standards and how they shape our perception of ourselves. When I was in secondary school, I became conscious of my face and body because people would constantly comment on how ugly I looked. There's this pigeon word used to describe an unattractive person. Wo-wo. That's what some of my classmates used to call me. I remember that there was a vote for the ugliest girl in my set and I came out on top. It really affected my self-esteem. But I didn't realize how much till I grew up and started worrying about how large my nose is or how wide my lips are. This happened 14 years ago. But as you might guess, I am not over it. I still catch myself looking into the mirror, wishing I looked a certain way. And that's what this episode is about. It's about beauty standards, about what society, pop culture and the internet tells us we should look like as women. Hi, my name is Aisha Salahuddin and I like girls. This is a podcast about African women and the different experiences life throws at us just for being women. In today's episode, we speak to one woman who is constantly bullied for her skin color and another for her body. Hi, my name is Esneto Kunrotifa. I am a humanitarian and programs manager and I live in Abuja. I am the last one of four girls. Um, I grew up in Zimbabwe, Harare to be precise. My mom is half Zambian, half Zimbabwean, and my dad is Nigerian. And I spent more than a decade in Zimbabwe. So I did my primary school and my high school in Zimbabwe. Growing up, SNET felt out of place. Growing up was, I mean, there were a lot of challenges. I grew up with my mom. And also growing up as a foreigner, what had its own challenges as well but I was able to just you know just use have this resilience to just keep going that's something that my mom always tried to instill in her girl why did you say you're a foreigner is it because you're like half Zambia and half Zimbabwean and then also Nigerian no in Zimbabwe I was considered that's the funny thing though in Zimbabwe I was considered a foreigner because I wasn't from Zimbabwe even though Esnet had Zimbabwean blood flowing through her veins, the kids in her primary school teased and bullied her for being Nigerian. Most of the Nigerian films that were in Zimbabwe had a lot of witchcraft, <laughs> especially with the likes of Patience Osoko. So the initial thing that people think when you tell them that you're Nigerian is, oh, she's got a lot of juju and she's going to <laughs> be careful with her. She might just turn you into a frog. The Nollywood stereotypes weren't the only type of teasing she experienced. Okay, so I remember when I was eight years old and I was sitting with my friends in the school playground and these older boys, I was in grade two, and these older boys that must have been like in grade six or grade seven saw me and they started laughing at me about my complexion and they said, oh, look at this black one. And if you can think of anything that is associated with being black or dark they called me that so there was a lot of name calling um in zimbabwe we have this fruit it's called tsubu so tsubu is like one of the darkest fruits that you can find in zimbabwe so they'll be like oh look at this tsubu or look at this person that's as dark as shoe polish or you know just anything that they'll say really mean things before that moment esnet had never really thought about her complexion the sudden realization that she was darker than most of her peers unsettled her. It was painful. I, I was confused because as a child, you 
don't being growing up in a protected environment you don't notice that oh this person is darker than the other person we were all just playing and then for the first time it's brought to my consciousness that i am darker and the fact that i am darker is a problem was a problem to them and that became an issue for me because i started to doubt myself okay so why am i this dark my mom is not dark um why am i this dark and i've not seen my dad in a very long time so i didn't have any pictures to reference that okay i'm dark because of this but then the way they insulted me about being dark made me feel like less of a person and it made me question a lot of things about myself so they now associated mm-hmm. being dark to being nigerian so oh it's because she's a nigerian that that's why she's black like this esnet was now fighting two battles being nigerian and being dark skinned things escalated when she got into secondary school you're going through puberty and i'm with a couple of my friends and then i think we were like six of us no we were four of us two of us were dark in complexion and the other two were light in complexion and these boys walk up to us and they're like we only see sorry we only see two beautiful girls the other two are too black to be noticed she didn't know the name for it at the time but esnet was experiencing colorism colorism is a discrimination of people based on their skin color Unlike with racism, colorism typically occurs among people of the same race or ethnicity. I remember going home that day and I really cried when I spoke to my mom. I cried. I'm like, "Why am I this dark?" And I remembered peeking in on my sister who was who had also experienced this whole colorism thing because she traveled, she schooled in Namibia, and she gave me an instance of where she was in the in the, in a hostel. And then the boy this guy walks up to her with a mirror and he goes you are the darkest and the most ugly thing I have ever seen in my life. And she would wow. secretly try and use she would secretly try and use um bleach to secretly try and use bleach so I caught her using this cream I think they call it fair and lovely then. So she would try and use it to try and see if she could get any lighter and that day when I had come back from school and I had you know these boys had been teasing me i literally went through her drawers and i was looking you know frantically for this fair and lovely cream she just had like this little portion left and i just took it and i just squeezed it i opened it i just pushed it all over my face and i was crying because i'm like i'm so tired of feeling like less of a person i was the most intelligent girl in my set i was receiving awards i was great in sports but it just wasn't enough Esnet's mom did her best to assure her that she was beautiful and that the color of her skin didn't make her less of a person. So my mom was she's always been a great support system and she loves dark. She's Afrocentric if I can describe my mom like that. So she held my my face in her arms and she was just trying to tell me that Esnet you're beautiful. You do not need to your beauty shouldn't be justified by a certain group of people. you are more than this but as a teenager it just doesn't make sense because you are still going back to that space which is my high school where you are being treated as if you're not part of the you know the beautiful girls because of your complexion and it just at that moment in time it just didn't make sense to me i think i had really just had it up to care with 
with the teasing and the bullying. It took a while for Esnet to realize something. If she joined the cool kids in school, you know, the guys at the top of the food chain, then everyone would forget her complexion and show her a little respect. So she did what she had to do. So you, it was like you wanted to be part of the cool kids so that yeah, you'd be accepted and noticed about your skin. Exactly, yeah. to get noticed. And of course, same thing, I had to do particular sports. It was crazy. Oh my God, not that I think of it. If you play volleyball, you were not considered popular. No, if you, in fact, it was social suicide to play volleyball. But if you played a sport like hockey and you were a good swimmer, then you were considered like, okay, she, she plays hockey. So I went to play hockey and I was a very good swimmer as well. So I was, I was really slowly getting into that circle where, okay, guys were kind of noticing me and I had to be slightly loud to an extent. It worked. She became one of the cool kids and was protected from colorism in school. Outside her high school, though, not so much. School became like my safe haven. High school became my safe haven at my high school became my safe haven at a point. And then once I get out of those walls, I mean, I'm outside. Ugh, I had to like be excellent again, or I had to just like, it, it was just so much work that I had to do to just get that respect. It really is. It's, it's really an issue. And it was so, it was so painful because I had friends that were light in complexion and they didn't really have to try as hard. They just had to be light. <laughs> and the guys would just like them. They just had to be light and the guys would just want to, you know, get them roses on Valentine's Day. Oh my God, I just remembered. Valentine's Day was another big thing in my school. Mm -hmm. And the, it was so weird. The, the popular girls, the faint complexion girls would have lots and lots of roses. At a point, I had to pay for roses and then send them to myself. What? So you sent yourself <laughs> roses, right? Because it was just so weird. And it was really funny because at a point, I, it was like all the dark girls would just look at ourselves like, yo, okay, so the number of roses that you Wait, have. Esnet and I laughed about it. But think about how horrible the bullying and teasing was. It was so bad that she bought herself flowers and pretended a boy had sent them to her. To feel loved, that's a lot for a teenager. Okay, we definitely need a break here. When we get back, Esnet talks about moving to Nigeria for her university education. Nigeria was the first place anyone besides Esnet's mom called her beautiful. Yes, surprisingly, Nigeria was better. <laughs> Be that's, 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 that's the interesting thing about it. Um, when I first came, um, I remember I was in jam class and there was this girl that I thought was so pretty because she was so fair in complexion. And I thought all the guys were just dotting over her. And I just whispered to this guy. And I'm like, oh, look at her. I'm sure you guys. And he was like, no. I'm like, no, wait, say that, that again. So I was like, so I was like, oh, you guys are probably excited, you know, that she's like the prettiest girl in this space. And they were like, no, absolutely not. You are literally the prettiest girl in this space. The guys can't stop talking about you. And I'm like, <laughs> don't be nice. 
at me like that. It was some kind of culture shock for her. All her life, she had been seen as weird, not beautiful, because of her skin color. But here in this new country, she wasn't just accepted, she was also liked. So they liked that I, the way I talked, they liked what I brought to the table. And um, I was, although I studied French in university, so most of the people that I found myself still associating with were francophone, you know, francophone people. It was just really a nice moment because it was, I was not really bothered about my complexion when I first, when I arrived in university, it was never a thing for me. I went right up to contested, you know, in my department level, contested in my faculty, and I was nominated as the first female, you know, representative in my, my department ever to be a senator at SUG level. So I was winning. To be clear, Esnet was still self-conscious about her dark skin and she still experienced a bit of colorism here and there, just not as much as when she was in Zimbabwe. She tells me a story. There's this guy I met in my NYSC. We were serving in the same company and we were having this discussion about skin complexion. So he's fair in complexion. And he tells me that, you know, yeah, his whole family is fan complexion, but God knows that he's definitely going to marry a fan complexion woman. He cannot be with a dark complexion person. Like, he just feels fan complexion people would always stand above um, dark complexion people at any point in time. And I was like, what does that even mean? That's a really backward way of thinking. But he was really convinced that no this is it he can only his mom is fair his sisters are he's showing me pictures of his family and he's like you know what i am never ever going to date or i can't be with a dark complexion woman and it was really difficult yeah, that's, that's crazy i was really and i couldn't talk and for a long time i was like you know what i couldn't talk to him again like okay no this is just you're not even a healthy person i should be around and we passed out of NYSC and this guy, this guy left Abuja and he now came to my office because he knew someone that was there and he saw me and he was like, oh, wow, how are you? You're beautiful. And I'm like, yeah, please don't be telling me that because you've already said it that you like. He's like, no, I want us to actually start talking. I'm like, what do you mean you want us to start talking? Boy, bye. You're literally the, the person, you're literally the person that said that you can never be. So what do you want us to talk about? I don't get. Long and short of the story, long and short, um, he proposed to me <laughs> last week. <laughs> and I'm doing my introduction wait, wait, next wait, weekend. Wait, are you fucking with me? <laughs> no, <laughs> she isn't messing with me. She's really getting married to this guy who initially discriminated against her because of her skin color. To be honest, I was worried at first, but Esnet explains that there's nothing to be worried about. He had to prove to me, I gave him a really tough time. He had to prove to me that this is because I don't want a situation where I'm with someone and then low-key you having or you're you're having a hard-on because of a fan complexion person for my work. It cannot work with me. So for three years, this guy spent his three years of his life proving to me that, look, this is you. I love you. I love. And um, it's a really funny story. And, you know, it's just been amazing. 
He spent about three years proving to Esnes that he no longer held the same beliefs he had when they first met. When she was convinced he had changed, she agreed to marry him. I think it's safe to say Esnes has what we can call a happy ending. But it's not like years of experiencing colorism and its microaggressions can be washed away by one or two happy stories. So I asked her how she's able to push past subtle comments and everything that happened to her as a child. What I did was I empowered myself. You need to get to accept where you're excelling. Like you, you, you pray for excellence. And that's what I do for myself. If you cannot accept yourself, if you can't accept yourself, then you can't accept the works of your hands. Then you can't accept any good that's coming to you. So what I did was I chose to be excellent. And people appreciate what I do. and. And what I do is what makes people even say, okay, wow, she's so beautiful. And I really just had to stop looking for validation from people. I did a series with some young people um, during the lockdown. on it's, I called it the validation crisis. And how young people, we keep pushing these social media standards. We keep pushing all these standards that we don't need to put on ourselves. And that's what ends up um, creating this mindset that, oh, to be darker is to be bad and to be unfair is what is accepted. It shouldn't be like that. I understand what she's saying, but I want to know the trigger. You can't just wake up one morning and start loving yourself. There's always a backstory. So I, I said earlier, I'm a humanitarian worker. I do projects in Northeast Nigeria, Borno State to be precise. So there are a lot of people that have been affected, survivors of the insurgency. And I go to the places where these people have been affected. And if you're standing or you're sitting, there are stories that you hear. You're right in, if you're in Bama or you're in all these places, some of these places you can't even go by road because they are full of landmines because of this whole terrorist thing going on. So you have to use like um, airspace, like a helicopter to get to these locations. And you're in this space and you're hearing bombs go off you're hearing the sound of gunshots and I remember I was working with some adolescents at a point in time and I was listening to some of their stories now I'm coming from a place where my my biggest issue was oh I'm dark in complexion and then I find myself in a space where their biggest issue is will I make it tomorrow you hear stories of a boy who was running away from insurgents. And as he's running with his brother, his brother is shot down. He sees his brother, he cannot stop. He has to keep running. A girl that has been abducted by insurgents and at the age of 14, she was impregnated and she's a mother. So you're faced with real life issues that people go through and it forces you to look beyond yourself. Esnet is not undermining the impact colorism can have on a person. She knows, better than most people actually, that it can immensely damage one's self-esteem, physical and mental health. She's simply saying that her job made her realize that there was more to life than worrying over what people had to say about her skin. So that moment for me just made me realize that there is more. Yes, if I can impact in someone's life, that's what makes me beautiful. And I don't have to be dark. 
I don't have to be light to do that. I should be able to, as a human, human nature is the most important thing at the end of the day. If I can positively impact in this girl's life, then that is, that is, that is what beautiful is. So it got to a point where beautiful went beyond the color of my skin. Beautiful was what I was able to do to impact and bring smiles to the lives of people. To God be the glory, I've worked with over 8,000 children. Hi, my name is Aisha Obiago. I'm a user designer and I live in Abuja, Nigeria. Aisha started paying attention to her body and how she looked at a very early age. Even before I hit puberty, I, I started to notice the whole, oh, she's light-skinned, so she's prettier than you. And this would be coming from adults, by the way, which I find very ridiculous, seeing as I'm an adult now and I would never tell a child that one person is prettier than the other simply because she's light-skinned. And I really didn't like the whole... I hated how adults would, you know, say, oh, who is more beautiful than this person? That happened to me and my sister a lot, by the way, which I absolutely hated as a child. You'd hear adults say, oh, who's finer, who's cuter between Aisha and Hadiza. I found it very weird. But then as a child, I, that was like weirdness, I would say, was like the topmost emotion I felt. I was like, this is a strange thing to talk about. And I and I absolutely hated the comparison. And it was not just with my sister and I. If we had, I remember I had a light-skinned friend called Sandra. And we would, we would all be getting along and everything. And then one adult or a boy, maybe a teenager who's older than us, would say, oh, you guys are cute. Or Sandra is cuter. Because she's light, and I would say why? Because she's light skinned Because that was always the thing everybody <laughs> would say. So I would just help them complete, and it would be, and it would be like, oh, it's coming from a place of pain. But it really wasn't coming from a place of pain for me. It was just coming from a place of, you sound really ridiculous. Why would you be comparing us in this way? It seemed like everyone had something to say about Aisha's face and body. There was always an unsolicited opinion or comment. And then because I was also a tall kid. I think somehow people conflated my tallness with me being fat. I mean, I was tall and not skinny. Like, I'm not, I've never been skinny. I've never had a move. I've, I've always been like the big girl in my class where I couldn't, I never sat in front <laughs> till I got to university. I think university might have been the first time where, where I sat like in the front row in like lecture theaters, but the- theaters rather. But in secondary school, in primary school, even in kindergarten, they would make me sit at the back because I was taller than everybody and apparently I would block their view. I mean, okay, I get that. Okay. But the the thing where people would say, oh, you're fat. Oh, look how big your thighs are. And I'm like six. Why are you telling a six-year-old her thighs are big? Or people would say, and I, or people would see me eating and say things like, oh, you like eating. You're going to be super fat when you grow up. And I'm like, okay, I like food, so. (laughs) At first, Aisha didn't care about these comments. But in her late teens, she began to internalize some of them. And they became the basis for how she defined beauty. So apart from even the fact that people would say or comment on my weight, they would also comment on the way I looked because I was awkward. They'd be like, oh, you have K-leg. So it it now transcended, oh, you're fat, to, oh, you're pretty much bordering on oh yeah sort of ugly (laughs) that sort of thing so even I was also a carefree child where some of these things didn't start to bother me till I was probably like in my mid-teens and you know that's the point where you start to you you gain like a 
different view of yourself you want to look more presentable you start to notice people looking at you or like boys your age and all of that so then I think it was in my late teens that it really started to bother me because I remember that I actually did start to diet in like my middle teens I mean what was the trigger for you to start caring like oh my god maybe they're right was there a particular story or was it that you had just grown and started to process more yeah, I would say it, it was a bunch of things because I started, obviously, I grew up, I grew, I was now in like SS1, SS2, I, I, I really like pop culture, so I've always consumed a rather obscene amount of pop culture, especially when I was growing up, I had a lot of magazines, I watched a lot of TV, so all of those images that I was consuming and the words people were telling me, I would look like girls that were 15 that were like famous and they looked different than me in that they were skinnier they were smaller and then in real life many of my friends have always been like skinnier than me they had flat tummies they had I mean we're teenagers so but I didn't have any of that like I was just a regular kid you know (laughs) I wasn't fat but I wasn't skinny either Aisha went all in she wanted to look like the girls in the magazines she read and this was just me, but like now that I think about it, it makes me laugh a lot. I I tried to lose weight. Like I was in boarding school. I don't know if you know anything about like federal. I went to a federal government boarding school. So obviously mm-hmm. they were not feeding us well. <laughs> I was already starving. I would still like watch my portions in boarding school. I was yeah, cutting, so you were like, trying sharing, to lose weight. I was trying to lose weight by every like I was sharing my food into two. Food that was not like plenty before like I was depriving myself of nutrients pretty much just to get I was always checking my weight I would check my weight when I'm leaving like for school like it's resumption I'll check my weight at home and be like okay I now weigh 65 kg when I get to school I need to come down to at least 50 I would be telling myself I need to lose 10 kg One time, Aisha had become so frustrated with how she looked that she went on a rant about her appearance to a friend. Yeah, I was talking on the phone with a friend of mine. I just, I think I just, I was about to finish secondary school or like, so I was like 15, 16 at this time. And I just went on a whole rant. I studied my, hated my appearance. I wish I could do this. I was even calling people like certain celebrities who I felt had the ideal body that I would, that I wanted. And he was asking, he, he was really shocked because he just kept quiet. And was like, why would you think that you don't look good the way you are? That he now started telling me, oh, do you know what people go through just to get plastic surgery? Do you know blah blah blah? I mean, it was a good talk, and I felt a bit relieved that I could actually upload to someone like that. But I still secretly was like, you know what? If I have my way, I would definitely get plastic surgery at sixteen when your body hasn't even fully formed. You're already having those thoughts. When Aisha got into uni things kind of started to change and then I started to try things like makeup I started to try you know you know things you weren't allowed to do in secondary school so now your your parents are like you know you're going to university soon so they're pretty much losing the reins a little bit so yeah at this point I started doing like more girly grown-up things still babyish but you know it was me coming out like coming out of my shell looking at you know people seeing that beauty wasn't started i started to learn at this point that beauty wasn't as you know unidimensional as i had learned all my life 
I started to read about, you know, different things. And then you and I started to notice, not at this point anyway, but like as I grew older in university that about how trendy people make beauty and your beauty shouldn't be a trend. It's either like you you are beautiful regardless. Aisha began to slowly accept that she was beautiful, that her body was fine the way it was. But it was hard to shake off 16 years of thinking she didn't fit. So it wasn't a complete victory. Oh, yeah. So there were times where I remember, I think it was 200 level to 300 level. I gained more weight. I think I became a size 10 at this point. I didn't even like looking at myself in the mirror, <laughs> which is, now that I think about now that I'm saying it out loud, it's so funny to me because <laughs> it's just so weird that you would not like yourself to the point where you can't stare at yourself in the mirror anymore. Or you would want to wear baggy clothes to, you know, conceal yourself because you feel like people are looking at you. So I did go through that whole time. I would be successful. I would lose maybe a few kgs. Then I would gain it back and then some. And then it's like, oh, I'm stuck in this loop-de-loop. And then I'm just frustrated. I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to eat what I like or I'm just going to. And that was, I would say, out of the four years I spent in uni, I probably spent three years doing this whole back and forth. Today, Aisha still worries about her body, but not like when she was growing up. Um, was there like a turning point for you or is this something that you still struggle with till today? Um, A little bit till today. But I have, I think for today, I have more realistic expectations of myself and my body. And just in general, I'm not really... The whole expect like beauty standards. I think I've shed a lot of my initial ideas about what a beautiful person looks like. I know that you don't have to be skinny or fat or whatever to be beautiful. We're all beautiful, and for me personally, how I've come to look at my body now is like, okay, you don't have a flat tummy. What's going to happen? And I, I've been very blessed. I'm, I'm, I'm healthy in that. I, I, I go years without falling sick. My body doesn't betray me. Like, no, I'm not saying people who fall sick are betrayed by their bodies, but I have that blessing to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And apart from that, your body is going to change as you grow older. There's nothing wrong with that. That's normal. What I've come to say for myself is it's not about the number on the scale. It's about how I feel and it's about how I choose to take care of myself. I choose to eat better now. I choose to watch what I put in my body. I choose to, you know, be physical, like uh, take, do physical activities. Not like I'm training for a marathon or anything, but I just choose to make certain decisions. I choose to educate myself on what's good for me to eat as you're growing older and all of that. But not, I'm not coming from a toxic place anymore where it's like, oh, if I don't lose weight, I'm dying. Aisha eats healthy, pays attention to her body, and doesn't mind losing a bit of weight. But it's no longer a do-or-die affair. Like before, she's done letting society dictate what she should look like. I'm glad Esnet and Aisha have found ways to navigate the crazy beauty standards. But not everyone has figured it out. I know I haven't. That's why I reached out to Chini. Chini is a clinical psychologist. She was featured on episode 4 of this podcast. You should listen to it if you already haven't. After the break, we talk about beauty standards and how they can have far-reaching consequences on women.
Hi, my name is Chinya Rugo Onyekwere. I'm a clinical psychologist living and working in Abuja, Nigeria. I asked Chini why people cared so much about how they look. So, let's just bring it back home. If I had to ask you to describe yourself, you know, let's even go back to primary school, you know, write an essay about yourself, write an essay about this person. What are the first things that we see in that person? Oh, she's tall, she's slim, she's fat, she's this, she's fair, she's dark. These things already, these ways that we need to, we, we used to um, characterize people are a big part of our identity. Our skin color, our body shape, our height, you know, our hair, everything that you see is very important to a person's identity because for the longest time, that is how we identify and categorize or characterize people. So what does that mean? That means that for my self-recognition, I have a certain look, there's a certain look that I portray or that I have that is part of me and that is how society actually interacts with me. It affects, so your, your body type and your skin color affects the way you feel and affects how you see yourself and how people see you, how people interact with you. And unfortunately, if you are, let's say, on, on the side where society feels like you're not accepted, it impacts on the way they treat you. Um, you know, we've, we've, I've seen lots of videos on Facebook about people body shaming other people, um, celebrities body shaming each other, and even non-celebrities like you and I body shaming celebrities, you know. Um, it's out there. People are doing it a lot of the time. And we forget that how I look, how I am, is part of my identity. So if you begin to attack my identity and who I am, it's like you're beginning to attack the innermost part of myself. If I cannot, if myself as a whole, who I am, is not accepted within society, and you make me feel bad for it, the consequences are so, I don't even understand, I don't know how to explain to people that the consequences of attacking a person yourself, that is like who you are, the entirety, has, you know, it has really, really devastating effects on people. This means that when we make negative comments about how people look, we're not just attacking their bodies, we're also attacking their identities and who they are. And that can have devastating consequences on how they see themselves. A lot of the time, anxiety, the problems with anxiety in young people um, also comes from expectations about a certain body type, a certain um, color, skin color. Anxiety comes along with a lot of young people. They're eating disorders that come as a result of that. You know, um, body dysmorphic disorder is on the high, on the rise because of things like this. You know, body image issues are there. A lot of people also go through traumatizing um, experiences as a result of what they've heard or what they've seen. I completely relate with what Chini is saying. I'm anxious about my body, my face, because I was bullied for these things as a child. So we understand how unrealistic body standards can affect a woman's physical and mental health. But what can we do about it? So if you're an individual that wants to actually step in to help somebody from a place of love or a place of concern, you need to know how you go about framing the words and knowing how you talk to the person about it and see the person, not their body or their color. Go beyond all that, you know, what you see at the front. Just see the person for who they are and who the person is to also understand what's with them. Women also need to stop comparing themselves to those they see on TV. Chini says it's not easy. It just has to happen.
have to start at a place of acceptance. You need to accept yourself for the way you are, for who you are. And then we can start working on other things like changing where they need to be changed. Um, but you need to just take a step back and just accept yourself for who you are in your entirety, regardless of what society says. Because if you do not accept yourself for who you are, as the trend in society is changing, you find yourself also going through the ups and downs of the changes in society and what is accepted and what isn't accepted. Chine and I talked for 45 minutes. I can't fit everything into this episode. But she mentions that women who have been bullied over their bodies need love and support and therapy. She also has strong words for journalists and the internet. Play a big role in the way you form society. So the narrative around body and fat phobia, colorism, the narrative needs to change. We need to stop we, 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 need to, we need to change it. We need to, we need to stop segregating and say, oh, this is better than the other. We need to actually more, be more focused on what is healthy, whatever it looks like. We need to be focused on healthy because when we look at the extremes, you make people feel like being in the in-between, being in a healthy space, you make you feel like there's a problem with it. So the narrative needs to change. The media, movies, you know, advertisements, everything included, we need to change the narrative because that's another way that you influence society and you influence what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. I agree with Chini. Society needs to do better than pitting women against each other. There's no one way to be beautiful. Period. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Like Girls. If you want to get in touch, visit ilikegirls.co. Also, if you like this episode, please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening on. This episode is produced by me, Aisha Salahuddin. Audio engineering is by Daniel Atkins. Rahina Salhassan is our associate producer. Samia Salamutu is our editor. Mira Momoyele is our graphic designer. And our theme music is by Bangs with a double G. The other music you heard throughout this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to our partners, Radio Now 95.3 FM, Newswire Nigeria and Femme Africa. Okay, I'll catch you all on the next episode.